Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob, 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 And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon, the show where grognards go to get their grog on. Hello gang, this is Lou Lou. I wanted to let you know that what you're about to listen to is not in fact a regular episode, but a side quest. Co-host Bill Barsh and I get to sit down with a good friend of ours and fellow creative Ben Burns of New Comic Games. Ben is going to tell us a lot about his current Kickstarter, Zeta Complex. And uh, Bill gets to tell us a little bit about his upcoming Kickstarter, The Tome of Quests, which is, uh, by the time you hear this, just a few days away from launching. So, got to hear about a lot of good products. I wouldn't be putting them out there if I didn't believe that these are things that you're going to want to own. So, hope you enjoy the conversation. And we'll be back next month, uh, actually in just a few weeks here, um, with a new episode well, we're going to get to talk to the monster man himself, Jim Holloway. So until that time, happy gaming. We work on it the rest of the night. We get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. All right, welcome to a special episode of This Old Dungeon. Um, wanted to get this out here. It was just that the timing was perfect. Got a couple really hot Kickstarters going on that, that I've got a lot of interest in. And uh, our old friend Ben Burns is back from New Comic Games. Uh, he's going to give us a little time to talk about a project that, if, if you remember the episode he appeared on before, it, it's a project that I've just been dying for him to get out, uh, the Zeta Complex. Uh, welcome back to the program, Ben. For those that didn't catch the first time you were on, can you tell us a little bit about New Comic Games and uh, you know some of the products you guys have? Oh, yeah, sure. Thanks. And uh, you know, thanks for having me back on today. Um, yeah, so we're New Comic Games, a small publishing company. We've only been around for a few years, but we've uh, I think we've made a pretty good splash in the role playing industry already. Uh, we've done some uh, stuff with D&D, of course, and then uh, Top Secret. But our biggest uh, uh, thing has been with uh, Call of Cthulhu. And uh, but this has been a uh, currently we're working on a project that's always been a love of mine. I've really enjoyed working on it, and that's uh, Zeta Complex, as you mentioned. So, all right. And uh, ben, tell, yeah, so uh, hey guys, it's Bill. Hey Ben, tell us more about Zeta, though. Like, like, is it what does it emulate? What's it trying to do? Okay. <laughs> well, we can get right into that. Yes, so, we are. Yeah, I, we're, we're anxious. I really want to know a lot more about yeah. it. I obviously saw the Kickstarter, but I, yeah. I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. Okay. Um, obviously, uh, you know, it's in the same genre as um, Paranoia. Uh, I love that game, but I always felt there were some issues with it. Uh, I haven't purchased a new version yet, so maybe they fix these issues, but I doubt it. So, <laughs> but uh, there are always problems uh, I had with running campaigns of it and the fact you're pretty limited on what you can play in, in that game. So uh, I had looked at writing my own rules and creating my own role-playing game for a long time uh, to fit the Theta Complex. Uh, 
and somebody played in it and said, you should really check out Savage Worlds. You'll be surprised how close you've come. <laughs> and I'd, I'd never looked at the rule system before, and I pulled it out and looked at it, and I was just shocked. And uh, uh, there were so many similarities with what I'd written and what they already had out there, and they filled in a whole bunch of holes that I already uh, that I still had on my list of to-do things. And so I applied to become an ace writer there and um, and was accepted. So we've gone that route. And so uh, that allowed us to move up the timetable on this by about a year. So uh, really excited about that. But um, if you've never played Paranoia before, uh, this is a comedy RPG. Uh, so you your characters uh, can get in the wildest, craziest situations uh, possible. Uh, usually there's lots of uh, intrigue of, of backstabbing each other. Um, and it's, it's not uncommon for uh, people to die more from their equipment and their other players than they are from any foes that they face. <laughs> Uh, so, um, one of the things that were always an issue with, uh, paranoia was while you died off and you only had six clones. And once you were done with your six clones, um, you had to start a new character, but in, uh, in my system, there is no specific limit on clones, but there is a test you have to take. So you never know when this will be your last clone. Whereas before it was always you, oh, I already, I know I have another clone, so it's okay if I sacrifice myself here. Uh, you can't, you can't do that here because <laughs> you don't know if you're going to have another clone or not. Um, but it does allow you to have more than six as well, which, uh, which can lead to some good campaigns and things of that nature. So as you can build good your character it, it, up. It takes care of it on both ends then. I like that. That's, that's yes. I, I think it's a great, great idea. So Ben, um, I'm not real familiar with Savage Worlds, honestly, but um, so that's your that's the core mechanic in the game. The Savage yes. Worlds, that's your core system that you're using. So yeah. let me backtrack a little bit. Are there any other retro clones of Paranoia out in the world? I'm not familiar with any, but I never never really chased anything like that down. Uh, there's no uh, older retro clones of Paranoia that I'm aware of, but there's been some uh, newer attempts at making. Uh, clones of paranoia um i'm not real familiar with any of them uh somebody mentioned one of them to me and said oh you know uh, uh these people tried it but they tried to make it too serious and so it failed um i, I think you got to keep it at a slapstick level sure. uh if, if if you're gonna make this uh, genre work so i i don't think there is a ton of these out there so okay yeah i know that because yeah. paranoia near and dear to my heart one of my favorites and um after the second edition that's kind of that's kind of what you're saying ben is different companies had bought the ip they'd kind of gone either a little more serious a, a little more you know futuristic you know and then some of them tried to you know swing completely the other way and, and, and get gonzo to where it, it didn't have like the oh the the savoir faire that uh paranoia has with the way that it does the, the tongue-in-cheek and all that um so uh is that's that's good to hear that you know that's it's got a you've got your sights set on, on what i would consider classic paranoia with the the more slapstick antics but but you know this backdrop of uh of what should be you know this uh noir you know dark serious uh you know setup here yeah absolutely um, no that's right i'm, I'm just want to kind of echo I, i'm not I, don't, I played paranoia a little bit way back in the day but I think they kind of captured lightning in a bottle, you know, early on with that game system because 
because humorous RPGs are, are notoriously a very difficult thing to do because it's just hard to translate. You know, we have games like Toon or Ghostbusters. Uh, I, I kind of follow the same, you know, kind of genre there. So is Paranoia still being made today? I mean, I'm not familiar yeah. with that. Means. I mean, I'm totally yeah. out of the loop with that. So who yeah, makes there's... Uh, <laughs> to be honest, I'm not 100 percent sure. It's changed hands a few times. So okay, gotcha. Uh, gotcha. So, yeah, I know. I, I know just, the IP is is still uh, viable. It's still owned. Uh, I couldn't tell you who owns it right now, and I don't know when the last it. product came out. Uh, the ones that I'm familiar with are still maybe five, six years old. I want to say Mongoose Games owns it, but I may be. Yeah, Mongoose Publishing is doing it right now. It. Okay. That makes sense. And I'm just kind of set the stage for what's out there. So it's really cool. I think that you're producing something um, that is giving us that, that, that old school feel of paranoia, which obviously is what you're looking to do. And I know when you run your games in Texas, it's a riot. Everyone raves about it. Um, and using, I think it's a really smart idea to use a contemporary system like Savage Worlds, which is really well known. So um, I, I think that's really a good idea. It's real clever. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Oh, and, excellent. Thanks. <laughs> one of the directions I wanted to go with questioning, uh, you know, I, I think most paranoia fans, if, if they're honest with themselves, uh, you know, it's the setting, it's the setup of the setting. That's where the gold is. I don't think it's ever had rules that really are just like, yeah, this this kind of melds with the comedy and with the, the the extreme circumstances and paradoxes that the players face very well. I mean, the, the systems have always, to me anyhow, felt very, very much like an action RPG versus, you know, something that's a little more comedic. And that's one of the things yeah. I like about Savage World is, for example, you know, extras die on one wound. They're just boom, and they're gone. And I think in a comedy game, you don't want to get bogged down in combat mm -hmm. too much, right? You, you want to keep it moving quick and fast and easy. And, um, and, and then it also, it, actually speeds up people's decision making when it comes to backstabbing each other and they don't hesitate as much i find when they hesitate too much then they don't do it right and so mm -hmm. usually when someone wants to and that's usually the best part of the game is when somebody <laughs> else you know nukes another player and uh, usually when those happen it's real fast it's real quick and they almost didn't even think about it they just did it and um and so in this system with things moving so fast, it uh, it actually feeds into um, the Savage World system very well in, in the uh, genre of that game. So Now, I, I've only played Savage World maybe half dozen times or so, and I know that it's, it's a somewhat of a button-on type system where there's like core rules and there's some other things you can kind of put in there oh, as yeah. far as the bennies and the card decks and stuff like that. Well, all those things are in the core rules, but there's uh -huh. lots of settings for it. You know, you have your rifts, you have your heroes, you have your deadlands, you have, you know, all these different settings. And then uh, Zeta Complex is just going to be another setting for it. Uh, Benny's and uh, their initiative system is a card deck. So you just flip cards out and you start at the highest and go down. And, they, you know, Joker gets to go whenever he wants. Uh, Benny's allow you to re-roll things and uh, it works out great 
for Zeta Complex because then people can try these really super heroic, you know, I'm going to do a triple backflip with my rocket boots to fly up and shoot down at the one weak spot this robot has on top of his head. And, oh, I failed. Well, I'm going to use the bending. I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try it again. You know, <laughs> now you only have so many of those, but um, it, it allows you to want to attempt these things because there's a greater chance you'll succeed because you have that little stack of bennies with you. So. All right, cool. So Zeta Complex set in a in a futuristic world, correct? So oh yeah, that, absolutely. Give us some give us some background of your little world building here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is definitely in the future. Nobody knows how far in the future. Uh, there's been so many apocalypses and end of the worlds that uh, everybody's lost count. Um, mankind has been moved uh, in from these underground shelters from one to another as they fall and, and defeat. And finally, we're down to Zeta Complex, which is mankind's last hope, which <laughs> is the subtitle. Um, but above ground, uh, so Zeta Complex has kind of become self-sufficient below ground, even though there's still parts of it unexplored. But the AI that's in charge with the authority, there's the council of three people who work with the AI, <laughs> uh, have decided to break ground and they have surfaced. Um, so, you know, it's not all scary to be above ground now like it used to be. That's part of the basic training, uh, which was always cool the first time you did it in Paranoia, but by the third or fourth time it was old hat anyway so i just you know everybody um starts up there but then the world is more if you ever played gamma world it's more of that sort of setting up oh, okay. top so you can have adventures up top or you can still be down below underneath ground um you can go into space um there's all sorts of different varieties you can take your campaign and uh, or all of them you know there's nothing wrong with that either so wherever the authority sent you is where you go so cool uh, two words mutant powers uh okay so uh, before uh this has been another big change in the game uh before everybody had mutant powers but they were traitors to have them and so mm -hmm. nobody ever used them it was like you know and some were powerful and some were weak and useless but um and some people got to use theirs because they were hidden and other people just couldn't or they'd be executed um so uh, now the uh, authority has declared that mutant powers are necessary for the evolution of man. So now not everybody has them. It's a build option. So when you're building your character, as you do in Savage World, uh, you can take that as a feat and have a random mutant power. Uh, but you don't have to. Uh, mutants are still considered, while they're not illegal, there are groups and factions out there who dislike mutants and will still discriminate against them and try to kill them and things of that nature. So that's that's kind of how mutant so, powers work now. So if the if the computer's pro mutant powers and, and your character doesn't have any, do you gotta pretend like you do? Like pretend no, like no, you can no, read it's not pro mutant powers, oh, okay. they're just accepting of them oh, saying, okay, okay. okay, for for mankind to survive, we gotta use every tool we can in the book. Uh -huh. Okay, we're not gonna outlaw something if it's gonna help us survive. And that's the AI whole uh, philosophy in life is I don't care what I have to do. I don't care how many of you clones I have to kill. We're going to survive. <laughs> so that's, that's its theory in life. <laughs> so, oh, Rich. So. Um, what, what about the, you kind of talked a little bit about having like some secret societies type things there with, with people against mutants and things. Is that a character sort of thing also? 
Okay, so uh, before there were secret societies in paranoia. I'm trying to stay away from the terminology of paranoia. Yeah, you know, for sure. Obviously, they can't copyright the word secret society. It's been around for hundreds <laughs> of years. But we went with factions instead, yes. uh, just so they're uh, different. But before, you rolled randomly what secret society you belonged to. So it was really weird when you were in the anti-mutant society <laughs> with right? all the powers right? <laughs> and you had a mutant power um and, and things of that nature so instead you start out without a faction in this game and then uh but all the factions are trying to recruit different people and so now the gm can figure out which faction you would fit best into depending on your character build and they can recruit you and you can choose not to join one of those but if you do you get obviously lots of benefits from that so anyway that's so that's how factions work now so it's a little more interaction between yeah. uh the gamekeeper and um the uh the players so that's nice yeah i think i think you're you know you're dead on there making it a, a role play issue not a random assignment it's you know like so. Yeah, I, I always felt it was weird, and half the time players like, okay, you're part of the secret society, and then they'd never do anything with it, you know, and so now it's a little more interaction to do that, and they can choose to leave those out, but I, I think it's a mistake to do that, but, you know, it's, um, yeah, but eventually it boils down to what does the gamekeeper want to do, what do the players want to do, and uh, I think the system allows them a wide breadth so you're not pinholed into one specific you know formula this is how it's going to work uh this allows uh the gamekeepers to do what they'd like to do best and uh so i i think it worked it works for me it, it works for all the games i've run people have always had a great time doing it so um another thing that's uh different in this uh version of zeta compared to paranoia is you can actually have different races uh, so you can build with, uh, you know, dwarves or elves or halflings, and they're just mutations off of the basic human race. Okay. And then you can actually have allies of other races that have, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Stargate SG-1, where they took an alien and made him part of the team. And it would be like that. Now, they wouldn't be clones. Okay, so if they die, they're out. But uh, there, there's benefits you get when you're not a clone. Uh, when you're a clone, you can't uh, soak wounds anymore, uh, which was something you could do, but it allowed your characters to be very survivable. So if you're a clone, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> okay, hmm. It's a drawback of cloning technology, whereas uh, a ally coming in would be able to do that. But if they die, then they're out and they'd have to create a new character. So it allows for different variations of that. And so players can play what they want to play. So if you still want to be an elf magic user, you can still be an elf match user in this game. So, but anyway, while well, everybody else is using laser rifles, so but you get a wide mix of these type of characters. So, yeah, we had actually uh, prior in the year covered the paranoia game or, or module um, orc busters. So it kind of had oh, yeah. some of that mix. So that was, yeah. Interesting yeah, elements. That, that was a fun, fun module. It really was. I, I you know, like I have nothing as paranoia. I love the game. I played it for years and still do. But I wanted to create my own stuff with with that kind of genre and create my own. And since Mongoose owns the license for that, um, this is my outlet to do that. And so that's what I'm doing. Very cool. Um, well, you want to hit some of the like highlights of the 
some of the more interesting things in there that, uh, or, I mean, you know, I, I don't want you to give away the farm here because I know, you know, it's nice for the, the people that are getting the Kickstarter to, to experience that, you know, as they crack open the book. But, um, you know, a, a, anything you want to talk about as far as, you know, clever uh, factions or interesting, you know, pieces of equipment stuff that you've put into the initial release of this? <laughs> well, I don't want to give away too much. Yeah, yeah, I don't <laughs> want But, um, so, um, you know, it, it does have different, you know, uh, levels on the Kickstarter. So you can buy all sorts of stuff. If you don't have the Savage World rules, you can get those too with the Kickstarter. But uh, I think you're talking about more in the core rules of Zeta mm -hmm. Complex. What is it? You know, um, I'm a big fan of Hitchhiker's Guide and, and Douglas, obviously. And uh, so there's a lot of um, that type of stuff going on in there. Um, I'll go ahead and, and let this go. One of the first adventures uh, that we created, and I'm finished running it. I've, I play tested it about eight times, and everybody had a blast. And one of the new uh, transportation uh, technologies that the authority has come up with something called jellyportation. Where, uh, so you're basically putting a big ball of jelly and a catapult throws you to a designated set of coordinates. Uh, <laughs> but this is the type of things that are in the game. Uh, and it, it's great when the, the people start flying in and they're trying to, to stick their heroic landings and they're failing and they're falling all over the place. But when the cargo, uh, the personnel transport comes flying in also, that's what, <laughs> you always get a lot of fun with that. So, uh, but there's uh, all sorts of enemies uh, that the authority has, has made by, by bursting out onto the surface. You had other races and stuff who were living there and the, they've kind of, uh, done that. For example, there's a, a race called the Uvians, which were a group of rabbits, uh, uh, humanoids who would jump over the fence, even though they built a fence up, they could jump over the 20 foot fence and uh, attacked and, and a lot of uh, operatives and, and guards and stuff were killed there. So finally, they were able to drive them off and but they kept one. And after a lot of testing, uh, they um, determined that the creatures could not jump higher than 25 feet so they raised the the fence to 30 feet and then had a nice rabbit stew afterwards so anyway <laughs> but <laughs> that's just kind of how the game uh uh is so. nice. <laughs> yeah i was just going through your kickstarter actually looking at your different budget levels and i think it's great that you you know you have an option here to pick up uh, all the core stuff and then savage worlds books you know for people like me who aren't real familiar with it i think that's fantastic uh, it's a nice partnership, and you got you know you have a bunch of options here, and um, it looks like almost too many couple. options, but you yeah, know you have a lot of options. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I so soft cover rule book, correct? It's soft cover. Yeah, it'll okay. be soft cover. Right. Cool, 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 cool. Um, and I like the fact that you have the introductory module available. Um, I mean, this all looks great, Ben. So, uh, uh, and when does you know? I I know because I'm sitting there looking at. It, but we're gonna let you tell us. When does this uh, when does this project end? When is it going to be done? Uh, okay, so uh, two weeks. You have two more weeks to jump in on the Kickstarter. Of course, you'll be able to jump in afterwards. Uh, we'll be using BackerKit to collect uh, shipping funds and stuff like that. I really expect it to be out before the end of the year, but I you know I put March I think on the uh, deadline of when I you know because uh, there's always delays, especially when you start talking about Christmas time, uh, printers and stuff always seem to be delayed. So, uh, and I always take pride in that my projects get out on time or within about a month of um, 
of when I said they, they'll be out. We've never been extremely late on anything. So um, that's one of the uh, things New Comic Games always takes pride in, in doing that. So in a lot of this, uh, just real quick, a lot of the stretch goals are, are additional content anyhow. So it's, you know, you, you've got time built in there to, to get all that. Oh, yeah. in. And you're, yeah, you're blowing through those. I mean, how many do you even have any left? Uh, well, we've already done three stretch goals and uh, we got a couple more uh, lined up on the block and I'm, I'm trying to decide if we can put in the next one I have in mind. I, I'm not going to say yet because I don't want to put it out Fair there enough. and then have people go, oh, I wish we had that because uh, <laughs> I, I want to make sure we make our deadline goal. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, the next one. Um, I'm trying to, I have to actually go back and look at them. I'm uh, let's see here. So the first stretch goal. Uh, we hit was to um, uh, add in the pre-generated characters. So those have already been done. Uh, include the Zeta Complex PDF character sheet. We've done a first draft of that, and I'll be using that this uh, in a couple of weeks at ReaperCon when we're going to be running. Um, because the character sheets they have for Savage World, while they're really good and they look cool, some of the fields are so small that you can't people i found people have a hard time reading them so uh i'm going to come out with my own uh, custom character sheet there um and then uh the greatest enemies have been unlocked so this gives you some really high level npcs who can be uh that allows the game master to influence things and, and screw with the characters even if it's not part of their mission they could do a whole campaign where they just go try to take down one of these arch villains but uh but they can also be there for long term to to really mess with them. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a girl named Anna who's only 16, who's a human mutant who lives up on the surface. But she can uh, control robots and take over robots and stuff like that and electronics. So she's, uh, yeah, she's going to be really, <laughs> really uh, fun person. Teenage uh, angst and all that. Nice. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So uh, the next one now, oh yeah, is the uh, pre-generated scenario. So. Uh, what I did was I built a uh, generator, a scenario generation, which is something a lot of Savage World systems do is you have, uh, you can just roll some dice and it gives you a basic outline of a scenario. And so I've done that also. And I, I rolled out like eight and just gave like a paragraph or two paragraph synopsis, uh, you know, about a half a page on this is how the scenario would work. So really you just have to go and put some stats, add in a little, you know, more detail and things like that. And you have a scenario you can run. So I took the first one of that and have flushed it out and I'll be running it at ReaperCon here in a couple of weeks. So I anticipate us hitting that stretch goal. So I went ahead and got a head start on that. So nice. beautiful. So let me get back to my nuts and bolts part. So interior book, black and white or color? Color. I always do color. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Fantastic. We made the switch a few years ago and we'll never, I'll probably never go back to anything black and white, but uh, so you already answered a couple of my other questions, um, which was, you know, your timeline for getting it out, which, you know, I, I'm a no pressure guy, you know, when I back it, I don't care when they come out, they come out, but, and I fully understand as a, you know, owning my own company here that like right now is difficult. It's, it's oh, yeah. flat out difficult. I mean, you printing domestically or internationally, you know, uh, this one will be uh, uh, done domestically. The printer I have lined up to do that. So yeah, yeah, I, because and that 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 saves that whole international shipping issues. A lot of a lot of publishers went through 
uh, we didn't, thank God. We, we've always printed everything we've done domestically. But the, the problem with that is domestic printers have got absolutely slammed in oh, the yeah. last 12 months. I mean, we, we fought tooth and nail with Endless Encounters uh, because we were just getting so much pushback on, on printing delays. And uh, it was a bear. Now, it was a big book. And uh, it was hardcover, which creates all kinds of other issues. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My last book was that way. We went international and it ended up costing us like an extra two months getting it shipped to us because, yeah. you know, trying to get it overseas. So, no, yeah. no, we, I, I we lost around the same, same amount of time, but doing it domestically. And, and these are printers we've been with for like 12 years. But yeah, we just, uh, you know, they, they had their own issues. So much stuff's getting printed uh, on shore now that there's a paper problem. I think it's oh, yeah. finally easing. I think it is coming. I think they're coming out of it. Is a you know we've been, we, we're always talking to our printers and uh, with the, the next like eight projects. So um, <laughs> it seems that uh, <laughs> it seems that that definitely is, is easing out. So it's nice to give yourself a little bit of fluff time there, especially around the holidays. But that'll be exciting. And then uh, you mentioned you're going to be at ReaperCon, which I was going to bring up. And so people can actually come to ReaperCon, see you there, and talk to you about. It. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I'll be up there Thursday through Sunday. Yeah, okay, cool. And that's a couple of weeks from now, right? What's the dates on that? And uh, it's the end of the month. So, like last month of August kind of thing? Yeah, I want to say it starts the 25th and runs through the 28th. Okay, cool. So, oh my gosh, is that next week? You're, you're a week from, yeah, a week from today, essentially. Oh. Hold on, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's the first. It's the first through the fourth. So... So I, got, I think that's right because you scared the hell out of yourself, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, because I, I'm not quite ready for it yet. The um, yeah, it is the first or the fourth. That's right because it's uh, Labor Day weekend. Or yeah, Labor Day weekend. Um, and it, it's the first day, which is September first, is the day the Kickstarter ends because they didn't open up a spot for me to go to ReaperCon till the day I launched. Oh, <laughs> like man. Two hours after I launched, they said, oh, do you want to cut? Otherwise, I would have had it go through the weekend so I could be promoting it the whole weekend, you know. But, uh, and that's exactly, you know, for people who don't run Kickstarters, you're, you're, you're crazy up until the launch and you're and actually like four or five days into the launch. It's, it's crazy time because you're getting questions and, and, and all that kind of thing. And, you know, and then, long at the end of the kickstarter they're always nuts your last few days so. yeah yeah absolutely so um and that's why we actually do a three-week launch right we we run things for only three weeks because uh, you always have that dead third week and so we just throw that out and so we do to you know good the first week is always really busy and really good the second week you're climbing up and third week it's almost flatline and then uh, the last week it jumps up. So we just got rid of that third week and it, it works better for us. So pretty excited about that. So anyway, um, I was just going to ask on the, uh, on the, the foreign shipping and stuff like that, you, you've partnered with somebody so that uh, this is going to be available. And like, I think I saw like Canada and the UK or something. Am I right? Right. So I have a, a regular distributor, GM, uh, as games, um, from, um, uh, that's stationed in the UK, but they do shipping uh, to the rest of the EU without any of the VAT taxes. They're all certified to take care of all that stuff. And so um, they do our distribution in Europe for us. And then I have uh, someone who runs a online store 
uh, Pat um, is his name, and he does my distribution in Canada. So um, I sometimes have a guy in Australia who does it for me as well depending on if he backs it or not. So <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't talked to him. If he likes it, got, you're in. If not, you're yeah, Well, Cthulhu, he's big Cthulhu, into oh, Cthulhu okay. uh, and that's real big over in Australia, Japan, all those countries over there. Uh, I don't think Savage Worlds is as big over there. So um, I haven't actually talked to them about doing an Australia uh, distribution for this. I, I don't expect this to be nearly as large as any of my uh, – uh, Cthulhu books, but uh, it's always it's fun to put out what you love to do. Yeah. So it is. Yeah, I, it's it's great to be able to to do that, Ben, and that's that's awesome you have that set up because you know international is is a big part. I think of all of us small small publishers' business. Um, oh yeah, like, uh, you know we I know speaking for us, we we have a lot, and to ship stuff overseas has become just uh, an individual backer basis. Um, I'm pretty sure with Ellis Encounters, we were paying more to ship it overseas than actually. The initial pledge costs just for the hardcover. Um, yeah. It was absolutely insane, and uh, I know we, we're the same way. We got we got a large crowd in Australia, and we do the same thing. We got some backers that'll actually pull together and that kind of thing, and we'll send a bunch to one person instead of. Yeah, and that's them. what I do is I just get everything, ship it to him. He owns a game store, and then he distributes yeah. it out. Uh, it's never a ton of people, you know, a dozen yeah. or so, but yeah, that's. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's great thinking because, you know, it is important for you know, a publisher to do everything you can to try and get that. Uh, well, a lot of, I know a lot of people, them, right? So a lot of people have gone to print on demand. Uh, but yeah. to, to be honest, I just, I have never liked the quality of the print on demand books. Uh, you know, well, one time they come consistent. out looking great yeah. and the next time they're, they're crap on a stick. And it's just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I know you're, you're you're right because honestly, most of those print on demand companies, you never know who they're actually using. Uh, right, they, they sub a lot of them sub it out and that kind of thing. So we're the same way. We we don't we don't print on demand any of our products. You know, we're they're all printed the old fashioned way here in the United States, and um, and that's what I do. It's a process. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a process. It's expensive, but we know what our books are going to look like at the end of the day. We know our right. books going to be around twenty years from now. People still want to actually play them. So. Uh, but, absolutely uh, same thing same yeah, reasons yeah. good that's great to hear so bill I th you might have had to step away when he was uh, talking about this but so he's he's going to a three-week kickstarter and, and and getting rid of what a lot of people in the in the biz <laughs> call the dead week or the plateau week you not too long ago came off of endless encounters and you're, and you're about to launch oh my goodness uh tome let's, yes tome of quests yep. tome of quests and uh, what are your plans for that as far as the length of the Kickstarter and your thoughts on all that kind of thing? Um, we're doing it pretty much the standard way we always do Kickstarter. So we're in pre-launch right now um, uh, through Kickstarter. So you can go on and you can check it out ahead of time and you can you know, sign up for your notification. Uh, and that's, that's doing real well. So I encourage people to do that because with this, this Kickstarter, we, we've never done an early bird special or a, a discount if you're the first couple of days. It's something we've never done, but we've, we wanted to try it at some point. So we are pulling that trigger this time. So uh, it is important to get in there and, you know, get notification because the first 24 hours, I think it is, I actually just pulled it up. Um, uh, it's basic, you know, you have a discount. It's like five bucks off the hardcover, five bucks off the PDF if you're doing the PDF only. Uh, with Paysetter, if you buy a hardcover from us, you always get the PDF. There's no upcharge for it. Um, but uh, 
so that that's the process. And it's going to be a 30 day Kickstarter. We're, we're okay. sticking, sticking with that. Uh, I think to answer the main part of your question, that's, that's kind of been our model. We've done enough of them that works well for us. It seems to work well with our customers. Uh, we've the last three or four Kickstarter we've done. Um, you know, well, we know exactly what you're saying. There's always been that like middle Kickstarter drag, right? Where you just, right. Like, nothing yeah, seems to happen. And, you know, that can look scary to potential customers. So they go, they look at your Kickstarter and say, hey, he was at 25,000 last week and he's still 25,000 this week. What's going on? So, you know, things like that, those are perceptions and they're real. Um, and that's something people, you know, we've thought about it too, but oddly enough, our last three or four Kickstarters, we haven't had that drag. Oh, really? Been, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we've had a pretty steady climb all the way through, which is fantastic. And, you know, I can't thank our, our customers and our, you know, our pace that are loyal, loyal friends enough, but but yeah, the last few Kickstarters, we've pretty much tracked. I mean, you know, you have your big opening couple of days, right? There's no getting around it. Mm -hmm. Boom, it's off. Yeah. yeah, but you know, especially Endless Encounters and and, and uh, Into the Unknown, they both you know track great. I mean, we were daily picking up a lot of backers all the way through to the end, and then the big surge. You know, typically your last three to five days, especially you know. We usually have a big surge. So, so we're sticking with a 30-day one until we see that that curve diminish. You know, if, if we see that happen, go back to the way it was two or three years ago, yeah, we might consider the same thing that Ben's doing, you know. And now we're getting into the business weeds of things, which I'm yeah. sort of boring the hell out of our listeners. But but it's fascinating um, to me. So let's stay here for a little bit. <laughs> and I, I think that does work for bigger projects. When you're going to get uh, 1,000 to 2,000 backers, then yes, you want the four weeks because there's enough interest. When you get something like mine, which is a, a, a much smaller crowd, uh, and you're talking, you know, in the hundreds, then I think when if you because when you hit that third week, there's always the, the newer shiny thing out there, right? And you you don't want to lose those backers. And I I've seen that happen. Um, that is. A you know, yeah. and it's and always a heartbreak when somebody yeah. leaves and they don't so, e explain or do anything, so you know, they're just gone. And you're like, and what a, did I do? <laughs> you, do you take it personally. I mean, it's hard not yeah. to. And uh, I, I didn't really know that was a thing. I'm sorry. I just got cut in here. I didn't know it was a thing. Right. I, I'm only this is my third Kickstarter. This last one I did with the, uh, the, the uh, Time Lost Citadel. And there was one day where I, I swear it was like maybe four to six people just dropped it yeah, and right. i started i started going on facebook going did i did i post something like political or something did i, yeah. <laughs> did I make a faux pas here what how did i piss these people off you know it's uh, uh you know we've been in the kickstarter game a long time you know this is i don't know 10 years maybe eight nine years we've been in a long time that really wasn't a thing back in the day people backed their kickstarter Sure, you would maybe in the course of a Kickstarter, and we were running probably anywhere between two and 400 backers initially when we first started getting into the Kickstarter platform. I mean, I would say if we lost four to six backers over the whole 30 days, that was a lot, right? It just, right. people right. backed it, we really just stuck with you. And, and, and it was kind of fire and forget. I, we have absolutely noticed the same kind of thing and we mm -hmm. have it happened to us. And now we're, you know, some of our Kickstarters up in that, you know, 1500 backer range. But it's, uh, 
you'll still see it because you get all the notifications when you're on a Kickstarter. Again, this is all inside baseball people, but we, we see all the analytics and all that kind of stuff. But I have seen, absolutely seen that happen a lot more all the way through your Kickstarter. People will back it on day one and on day three, they unback themselves. And you're like, what? <laughs> I've, I've seen people it's not back just one. It, it's, it's, and five minutes later they they drop and it's like yes. you know, <laughs> and, and it's not just like the the 30 level or anything it's like the 500 dollar level you know yeah. it's yeah, like it's i tough. just drop and it's just like what <laughs> you <It's> know <laughs> it, it, i we have we've seen the same thing so i i don't understand where you're coming from is like kind of you know Get in, right. get it done, and get it funding, get out. We, I love that idea too. But like I said, just for us, the way our teacher has been tracking, uh, for us to cut a week out of it at this point just probably wouldn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, and for but, my Cthulhu books, I don't, I, I go to the full month also, it. right? Yeah. But, uh, but the, for the, the smaller projects thing, like this, I'll do three weeks. The whole dropping thing is, is, and I guess it's worth because I also back a lot of Kickstarters, right? I don't think I've ever unpledged a Kickstarter in my life. I mean, if I'm going to take the time to, to, to back something, I, and I know I'm different than a lot of people. I back a Kickstarter and 10 minutes later, I've moved on. And when it shows up in the mail, that's awesome. I never go back. <laughs> oh, yeah. This I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't read comments. I mean, I literally have to force myself every six to not 12 months to go on Kickstarter and look at all the ones I've backed. And try and see if I actually got the stuff in case I forgot to do backer kit on something or something mm -hmm. along those lines. And that has happened too. And that that's just me. I, you know, I I'm I'm not tracking. That's another thing that's off. irritating to me is all heck, is I'm ready to deliver stuff and people just will not fill out their backer yeah. kit survey. A it's a battle, right? So we yeah, we get some backer kits a whole yeah. we love backer kit. It's it's been a part of our program for a long time. Yeah, we love it too. But and it's 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 absolutely fantastic. And I like it as a as a publisher. And I like it as a as a Kickstarter backer. I think it works great. Uh, if you do want to track your stuff, it's really good for that, too. But uh, um, it's uh, and it's easy, I think, for a publisher to use. Right. And yes, that's very much good. so. And their and their customer service. Oh, my gosh. Hey, we have a little problem. I send an email. I always get an answer back. Like, hmm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And if they can't answer your question, then they contact, you know, the publisher and say, hey, I got this question. I don't know how to answer it. How should I answer it? And I've done that before. Matter of fact, I had one just the other day because uh, my wooden boxes for my last Kickstarter are running late and somebody wanted to know what was the status on them. And so uh, they contacted backer kit, contacted me and said, hey, what what should I say here? And it, it makes it really easy. But what really drives me nuts is the limited edition stuff. So if I'm putting out something limited edition, like a numbered item or something like that, and I have somebody back it and they've paid for it on Kickstarter, and now they don't fill out their backer kit survey, I can't do anything with that item. It just sits on my shelf because uh -huh. it's designated for this person. And it's like, at what point do you just go... You know, did this person yeah. die or something? Or, or just I, I wondered that on my last one. That was the first one I had people that didn't fill out their surveys. I had four of them. Um, and I wondered if that was a, like a buyer's remorse thing where they're like, well, if I don't give them my information, maybe they'll just refund the money. Or I, I mean, I don't know. That was just the theory I was going with. So I, I pack it, packaged it all up, put it out in the warehouse. It's there to go when whenever they contact me. <laughs> yeah. 
it's, <laughs> it's 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 a crazy thing we were the same way right especially with like you said it's it's definitely more rare people who back might like might back the special edition hardcover version of a book for them not at some point not to i mean we might even go in and if there's somebody missing we'll just send them an email and say hey you know we really want to get this sent off to you because it's just otherwise you're going to sit here on a shelf somewhere or get lost or whatever else right uh, that's something but i think most of the time where we see it a lot of times and I think, uh, and we really started working harder on this, is uh, reminding people who back digitally only, you need to do backer kit. Just because you're just getting a PDF, you still need, we, we don't know, it, it's not gonna send anything to you because we, we use their whole digital system to- Right, well, I do too, I think out. it works. And, yeah. and we've, we find it more digital backers will think, and it's not anything nefarious on their part, they just think, well, backer kit's just people who order books, I'm just getting a PDF. I don't need to go through that backward thing. Yeah, you do because it's not gonna. It's not coming. PSA, right? folks. PSA. Yeah. You have to fill out your backward. Save regardless. us the time, right? Save us the time and headache because what they're gonna do is everyone's gonna start commenting. They got their PDFs, and then you know this is great. And then you know we get a backer jumps on there. Well, hey, I didn't get mine. Okay, well. let's find out what the problem is. <laughs> yeah, because you didn't fill out or nine times out of ten. Nine yeah, times out of ten, or or they use an email address. You know, whatever that. They didn't bogus you know, emails. Yeah, they, 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 at the last minute they said, "Oh, I'm going to use this email to get my PDFs and and you know that kind of thing, whatever." But but that could, great tool. We love it. Uh, we use it for everything. Um, and yeah, I recommend it also. I do too. Anyone who's publishing, it's 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 worth it. It's a it costs a little bit of money, but honestly, it's worth every penny that you're going to spend on it. It makes. Oh it yeah, I tried collecting shipping charges. You know, before I was doing shipping charges through uh, Kickstarter. And, you know, that's a disaster. You don't want to do that now because shipping charges change so much between when you run it and yeah. when you send it. So I don't recommend doing that at all anymore. Uh, so now I always collect afterwards and I tried doing it myself. Oh my gosh, what a headache that no. is. Just no. not worth the effort. <laughs> uh, you know, how much time, how much money is your time worth, right? That's what it yeah. comes down to. And yeah. so now I, I have it collect. I know exactly what everything's going to cost. It's surprising. I'm within, you know, less than a dollar on nearly all of my backer kit stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. Now. No, it's, 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 again, it's a cost of doing business. And to me, it's well, well worth it. So yeah. do you, do you, if you use, I've never used the Kickstarter shipping thing. We never used that. Well, that was do back, they, you know, when I first started, they were like, oh, just charge shipping now. And then when, by the time you ship, right? it's doubled in cost, right? So right. Yeah, you're killed on cost because the post office is not. And then um, backer, if people don't know, Kickstarter takes a percentage of your project and they don't just take a percentage. I mean, I don't think that was. The way it, 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 so that's that's what I do right now is they they uh, Straight, they claim percent right and, off and the yeah, top. It's, it's off of everything. Your, your, so your amount you did shipping, yeah, everything. So you're getting, yeah. Either you're Post getting up on <laughs> shipping or your customer's paying yeah. more for shipping than you should because you're building it into the project which to me is well of course backer kit takes their cut too right mm -hmm. they take they take a kit of your kickstarter and they take a a, a cut of your your funds you receive so sure but it's, it's significant but for us it's significantly smaller and and right it is less well and I'm, I'm only dealing with like i think the biggest one so far has been like 350 that i've had to ship so that's still that's a weekend no big deal yeah I, I'm, I'm 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 still hitting the the amounts I'm charging on shipping well enough that I haven't hadn't soaked any of that. But, uh, but yeah, I definitely, uh, uh, you know, hear nothing but praises for backer kit, especially as you get bigger in this industry and 
get into the there know, are other companies out there but backer kits what i've always used there so. are we yeah i i know all i can speak to is back that's all that's all right same here but i've seen companies go bankrupt over shipping charges yeah. or well, I, i'm gonna tell you it's, it's not hard i mean we got like i said we just we literally got murdered on MS encounters on it because one the book came in at 120 pages more than we planned on it coming in at which took it from a two pound weight class to a three pound weight class right and that, it wasn't domestically it wasn't a big deal i mean whatever I mean, we sent a thousand of them out it was a it was a little bit of money but it wasn't a big deal the problem there is international we keep going back to international right so where i think we were charging 27 dollars a book or something like that to ship to to europe um which was the estimated shipping cost roughly i don't i could be wrong on that. it's pretty close to that number uh, initially to ship that book to europe um well now this book came in at uh no, not, it didn't cross. It crossed two pounds, right? It came in at like two pounds, yeah. eight ounces or something like that. Instead of originally we had it at, you know, pound and a half or something. Took it to a new weight class. Well, that new weight class took that book from 20, high 20s to mid 40s. Oh, yeah. wow. Not, not three or four dollars. No, yeah. It jumped literally 20 bucks a book to ship those internationally. And unlike this other Kickstarter out there, I know John Ron who said, if, hey, prices went up. If you don't pay it, we're not shipping which is crazy. Mm. Um, yeah, you just can't didn't do, do that. that. We just shipped yeah. our books and, and swallowed the pill. But uh, um, it's just, you know, again, I, I will go back to backer kit. We would always use them just because it makes things so efficient that, you know, even if we get beat up, we just feel at least, at least we're getting things done and out in the right way. Because it also minimized, I think the beauty of backer kit, it, it does help minimize those uh, error shipping, you know, it's a killer when you send something to Europe and it costs 40 or 50 bucks to send it. You, you got 50 or 60 or hundred dollars in merchandise. And for some reason that damn thing gets lost. Oh, um, absolutely. You, That's, no, you know, you're just screwed as a publisher because what do you, you know, we, what we're going to do is you're, you're going to send us email. It's like, Hey, it didn't show up. We're going to check the tr customs and tracking number on it. And sure enough, it's in limbo somewhere. Um, and clearly never going to get delivered. So we have to repack it and send it out again, you know. Absolutely. And, you and you're just, just you're out of book and you're out another 45 bucks of shipping, so, right? So that, so. What, yeah, what backer could helps us do is we have the most updated information on our on our customers and backers to get stuff out. So again, I, you know, it takes a lot of that human error out of it. That could be because some of it right. could be our fault, sure. Right. We could have because I never fill out my backer kit and put in the weight charges and stuff until I know how much that book is going to weigh before I ever put in a price we for shipping do, we typically do the same and just a different animal it's just that it, it was it just was a different animal because we usually do the same thing we'll actually wait on backer kit right we'll we'll hold off sometimes people will actually email hey are you guys doing back it's like we're gonna wait another month or two because we've got word that there's a there's a the post office coming in with a a giant a new shipping increase. yeah <laughs> and we hate to just beat you guys up on it we're not gonna we're gonna charge actual shipping if you know that's pretty much what we do but we also don't want to get killed on it because we're, we're mailing out 1400 books this time, you know, and if I get, if I'm off by even just three or $4 per book, that adds up do the math, that right? Adds up quick. It <laughs> sure does. Quick. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so awesome. Real quick. Uh, Go ahead, uh, but, but before we get too far out from it, uh, there are a couple things that I just realized I never asked you about the Zeta complex that I was curious about. Um, one of it is, or one of the items is uh, art. I know you've got some good art in us oh, on the okay, Kickstarter. Yeah. We're so seeing some of it. Ed, Ed Bigford from um, Metal Robot has agreed to do the art for me there. So he's got a couple of pieces that are up on the uh, 
you know, I had him do a couple for me before we launched, and now he's uh, lined up to do the rest of the art once he finishes his current project that he's working on. Uh, so mid-September, we're going to be back into that again. So, yeah, it, I think it's uh, going to be a great uh, combo between the two of us. So He's got a great skill set for that genre, too. I, I, oh, I, yeah. I, I think he fits perfectly yeah, for it. For Ed's art, yeah. And I, I was just sitting there trying to figure out who to hire for that, you know, because I, I have a set of artists that do very realistic, very, you know, Cthulhu-ish, you know, that dark yep. uh, stuff. Uh, but I wanted something a lot brighter and a lot, you know, uh, more his style. And then he just yeah. walked up to me at North Texas and, was, and we started chatting and I was like, are you available? <laughs> and, uh, and so we talked and, you know, uh, I think it's going to be a great mix. So I really feel like, um, like for people that haven't looked at Ed Bickford's uh, art, um, the movie Tank Girl, I don't know if you guys remember that or not, but yeah. it's, it's got that feel to it, that kind of punkish, raw, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. used earth sort of look. It's very, very cool right. stuff. Very Flash Gordon-y type thing yeah. too, right? Uh, yeah. You're right. It's got that retro uh, swing on it too, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. But Bill uh i've already been i've signed up to be notified when you launch but when are you launching uh good question i believe it's the 23rd uh, okay i did just have it up here a minute ago because i i'm terrible at answering questions um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> well because so i used to be you know do a lot of this just on my own but you know fortunately pace has been able to grow we've got a pretty good staff and uh my son ben handles most of the uh, the background stuff you're going to see on a lot of our sorry our kickstarters he he'll design the Kickstarter page and he does all our social stuff and all that kind of thing and I, you know I, I get to to just write nowadays for the most part you know in design Sweet. so he you know he handles a lot of the background stuff I mean he does all his own writing too which is amazing he does all this it's great to be young but uh, <laughs> so but we have you know we've come a long way we've got you know layout Susie Mosby Mosby does all our layout we've got a couple of professional editors who that's all they do for a living is, is edit materials. We send ourselves to them. Uh, our artists, you know, are all over the globe at this point. So Ben, Ben has a lot on his table. So I tend to really stay out of the way, uh, but I'm 99. Just right. That's awesome. 99% it is the 23rd. And okay. Nice. So I'm, I'm looking at my notify me of launch and launch. It doesn't even say on here. Uh, yeah. That, it, somewhere. But so, uh, yeah, it, it's the, it, I'm 99%. It's the 23rd. Question for both you guys. Uh, so, so Bill, you, you're talking about, you know, you, you've been able to expand a little bit. Has that allowed you to actually reach anywhere near the amount of product that you have in your mind? You know, because like me, I've got like four projects on a shelf that I don't know if I'll ever get to because I got three projects ahead of me and and being a one person circus, I just can't do it, you know? So yeah, and, yes. The, the answer is going to be yes and no, because we can get through our projects a lot quicker. Um and and that has done that but i've i just literally retired from real life work in june so that that was you know that was the mitigating factor for me being able to, to put the time i want into it now now i'm, I'm retired although i've kind of gone back and i'm going to consult for a couple months uh it was a company we owned construction company so i'm going back and helping out a little bit here for for part of the fall and then, then I'm stepping aside, but uh, it, it definitely has because now I don't have to deal with any of that, right? So mm -hmm. one, I've got Ben to coordinate a lot of things, and then we have people that handle things. I used to do all our, I used to do all the layout in our older products. I got a, a background in layout and design. 
So I used to spend, you know, inordinate amounts of time never being happy with anything. But, but now <laughs> I let Susie do it all. She's a genius, um, way more skilled than I am. Um, you know, I'll put it this way, I'm black and white, she's color, right? So <laughs> that's the transition. So, um, but uh, she does amazing work. Uh, but yeah, it has freed me up. And a- a- any tool, you know, will put that out there to anyone else who's publishing, any tool that you can use to make your, your publishing business more efficient and get as many other people looking at a product, the better off you're going to be. I mean, you're going to get editors by default, you know, that will, like I said, we've got, we've got actual editors, we've got artists and we, they all look at these books before they ever get out to a printer. So a lot of eyes get on these books instead of just two or, you know, one or two or three or something like that. But you'll That's still always have that back room say, I found these four typos. <laughs> you aren't going to get That was the scariest, let me tell you, the scariest part about Endless Encounters. And if, if you're not familiar with that product, it's a, it's a basically a 300 book uh, page book of charts. Okay. It's a, it is a encounter uh, generated oh, wow. book and you can, it, you can, generate dungeon encounters on the fly just roll some dice and you, and you create counters we but it, we did it for levels one through ten so you've got ten different chapters in this book which all have essentially the same charts but modified for level and hundreds and hundreds of entries there's a ton of charts so yeah guess who, who who's you know you're like oh my god 300 pages of <laughs> that kind the of potential stuff. yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know but, yeah, I just so, I just put out those vision cards. Here's right? the death. Yeah, right. It was 200 words on each card, basically uh, 77 cards. So it, it came out to about 16,000 words. And this yeah. guy's like, I read through them all, and I found these four typos. Yay <laughs> <laughs> me! One per four thousand words. You know, it's just I, like I, really. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think endless encounters came in at. I don't know, 200 and some thousand words. I mean, oh, yeah. 70? it's enormous, ridiculous. Like I said, I came in, we, it's just that project got bigger and bigger as we went. Oh yeah. Like, so oh, that can I, get, that was my own fault. I, I want, I decided, you know, we could have stuck with what we were going to do based on the original Kickstarter stuff. And as, as I'm flushing things out, I'm like, you know what, I got an idea and I'm putting it in. Well, that becomes an idea times 10 because it's 10 different basic <laughs> chapters in there. So, right. so there you go. But, uh, so, you know, one thing we did start doing, and we've never did this before, is uh, getting back to that backer kit part a little bit. Now, I'll answer more questions about Tome in a minute, but um, uh, just I, I love helping people out. And, and Ben, you know this. I've been around a long time. I love helping oh, yeah. out and answering questions. So one of the beauties of, of that you can do with backer kit is you're, you're not limited to how many times you send out electronic or digital copies of your product. So we will all, we send one out usually within a couple weeks of the project funding. Because usually our books are done typically uh, by the time uh, Insider Secret Pace or more. Our stuff's usually close to being done. We actually don't even put hardly any stretch goals anymore in there that we know we either don't already have or we can't get done quick. So we usually try and get a PDF out pretty quick. And we'll send that all out with an update saying, hey, here's our PDF. If you got, you do it, you know, this isn't the final one. We're going to send another one out about a month from now. But take a look at this. And if something jumps out at you, We'll use our backers to help us. And I know that mm-hmm. sounds kind of might sound kind of trite, but it is important because they're all, someone's always going to find something. You you cannot be perfect in a 300 page book. No, no, no. Okay. I, I I buy all the Wizards of the Coast stuff. You can't get 10 pages in with finding out. Uh-huh. It just is what it is. It's the nature of the beast. Um, so we've started doing that, which is another fantastic element of backup kit that we'll we'll do that. We'll send this a, you know, like 
this is, you know, we're pretty sure we're done with it. Here, here it is, but we're going to send, we're going to go through it, take another 30 days as we get ready to cycle this off to our, our actual printer uh, because we're scared to death. You know, everyone is that you're going to find, you're going to, you're going to spend $25,000 getting this book printed and you're going to find this glaring monster error mm. in it. Um, yeah, so, now I, I, what I will do is I will ask for volunteers. And so yes. uh, I will ask for about four to five volunteers who can read it and do it quickly and give me some feedback. So I have some uh, regular backers of my uh, products who always volunteer to do that. And they do a real good job on, on reading everything and, and give me, giving me that feedback I need before I ever send it. So, and that's after it's gone through two levels of editing, right? And then exactly. we, go, we go through multiple levels of it. And, uh, and, and to be fair, 99% of the people never bother, you know, just aren't, uh, they're not, right, right. We're, not asking so, them to edit our, we're not asking anyone to edit it. We're saying, Hey, here it is. Take a look it, at it, but just so you know, you're getting another one in 30 days. So, okay. um, because we're gonna we're gonna take that little extra time, and and as we set this up for book printing, which is different than PDF printing, just again, another, yeah. we're inside baseball. If things change, we might decide to tweak some stuff. There might not be any errors at all, but we might decide to move some artwork around. We might decide we're gonna add another map, you know, because we we just. For you know how it is, the publisher. Oh, yeah. never done. I mean, we've got some ten years ago. Never, never. At some so, point, you just got to stop and put it out the door. Stop, right? <laughs> but, but your brain doesn't. So. Yeah. Right, and that's and there are some companies out there, and I've worked with some of them who they have, you know. And I was talking to this guy, and I don't want to name names or or point fingers or anything like that. But the guy, I'm like, you got to put some stuff out. He says, well, we got twelve things that are ninety percent done. I'm like, then pick one of them. Just one and put it out the door, right? And then yeah. take the second one and do that. I said, stop working on everything else. Just get this one done and out the door. If you want to be, you know, a viable game company, you've got to get the stuff out the door. And if it has the four or five typos, you know, guess what? Wizards of Coast does the same thing. Chaosium does the same. Everybody has those typos, but if you're not putting product out, you're not a game company, right? You're just, relevancy is a thing, right, Ben? Relevancy right. is a thing. So it, it is important. And like I, I'm gonna go right on right along with what Lewis is saying. I right now we've got um uh I've got it actually on my other laptop, but we've got about 12 projects in the pipeline for Kickstarter. Um that will probably go through the next, you know, two and a half years, I'm guessing, at least yeah. that long to get through all of them. Um, and, you know, Kickstarter has its built-in protections for people, which I 100% agree with, you know, we, we put our Kickstarter out, we like to, you know, we, we never get strung out by more than one or two Kickstarters, right? Mm -hmm. So because production time, but the, it's going to be done, like Endless Encounters, for example, you know, uh, came out right behind, uh, I think, Into the Unknown. But Into the Unknown, we were already shipping before we launched uh, Endless Encounters. But we usually try to, to stack them in that way. Sometimes you can do it, sometimes you can't, because just things, right? But and, and same thing with me. Like, I'm shipping Visions right now while my next Kickstarter is going on, And, right? and there's nothing so. wrong with that, because you have, you, know, you have to stagger stuff the best you can. And you can't, if you wait too long, I mean, again, we're going to get, this turned into a Kickstarter podcast, but you can get into the weeds about <laughs> timing with stuff, right? Because right, right, you we're, we're, we're launching one here in August and we're, we're really, we're on the fence of whether we're going to push another one out by year's end. 
and you think, well, hell, it's only August, Bill. What, the, what, you know, you've got four months. No, not really, because once you hit, if you don't get one out and get it closed, like well before Thanksgiving, your your Kickstarter is not going to do well. We've tried to do. Yeah, I don't. I stay away from December. Really, like first week of January Kickstarters, and you're in, you're competing with everything in the world, right? Black Friday, mm-hmm. Christmas, Thanksgiving. There's just so much you're competing with. Your Kickstarters tend. They just tend not to do as well that time of year. Right. Either I'm and, wrapped up before Thanksgiving or I don't launch till mid-January. Because you're just going to struggle. I mean, that's not saying we would never do it again. We, we might on something that we know is a specific product. And maybe it's going to be something smaller and niche that we know we you know, our this customer base is, is going to back us no matter what time you would do it. We're certainly not going to do it with our large and broad-based projects. Um, so you really run out of time really quickly. We're, we're creeping up on September already. So oh, yeah. uh, and to get a project ready for launch, um, especially where we've kind of come into these larger projects with um, significantly more uh, moving parts, um, we want to make sure that we're ready and we're done. And that's the you know, whole other part to it. So, Ben, if I can jump back to the question and kind of angle it more towards you that I asked a, a little bit ago. <laughs> um, I mean, because you, your company, you've got some board games, you've got the role-playing games, uh, you uh, adventures and whatnot. You've got the, uh, you got some dice stuff that you, you've made. Um, and I know that you do have other people. I mean, I, I've seen on uh, some of the adventures I have from your company that there, there are some other writers you work with and, and whatnot. How about you? I mean, are you getting out all the stuff that, that you want to be getting out? Or are you, you know, kind of that in, in my state where you're frustrated with, I can only move so fast. I got so much I want to get done well i've slowed down quite a bit uh i do have you know projects lined up you know eight of them in the back that i'd like (laughs) to do but uh and there for a while i was i was i decided i really wanted to make this like my living instead of and i thought i could do this and i had a formula that seemed to be working and i was planning on launching on kickstarter every other month i was just oh, wow. <laughs> i would have one just you know one running i'd be putting one out i'd be working on the next one and had this pipeline set up and i had other writers and artists and uh, people doing layout work for me and things of that nature and i was moving you know pretty fast and started putting out things that are very and i thought quick rate but it was still high high quality product and then kickstarter came and put a slam hammer down on me <laughs> and said you can't do this and i was like what the heck are you talking about and uh, they came out with some policy that you could not launch this one until everything else you had done had been already yeah. delivered right and they're like you have four outstanding kickstarter none of them were late yet you know and none of them were late i got them all out on time but they don't have any kind of rating system they just think you know other than how much money they're putting in their pocket right because uh they did not want me to launch i'd already promoted i already had advertising going for it it was going to be a big kickstarter and they're saying no we're not going to let you do this until you get these others and so i actually got 
launched because I went and pointed out to them that Simon because <laughs> I don't like them anymore. Simon <laughs> was uh just launched something and I still hadn't gotten my last uh backing from them from you know that was running six months late. And uh the next day I got approval to launch. But <laughs> funny that <laughs> funny how that worked. But I decided I did not um I wasn't going to go that route. And so I, it was stressing me out a lot and trying to make a living at being a small publisher is, is really tough to do. Um, you know, being able to pay the mortgage that way. And so I decided to, to slack off of that and, um, um, and work at a, a more comfortable pace that I'm comfortable with. I do a lot of my own work now, except for the artwork. Uh, I do my own layouts now and, uh, you know, uh, handle the deliveries and stuff, do my own writing. Of course, I have other people do the editing for me. But uh, yeah, I, it, it's rare at this point where I'm having other people, even though with the vision cards, I did have uh, two other authors uh, help me on those simply because writing 77 micro stories is really tough to do. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, um, so I've decided to take a more relaxed uh, view at, at this point in my life. and uh, And so, yeah. That I I will always have stuff on the background that I want to get out the door, but I've just yeah. decided to live with that for myself. So I think every publisher has that sixty day Kickstarter cycle dream, right? But you uh, you do two or three in a in a short window. Let's even in a in a four to six month window, and you just you get it's easy to get overwhelmed really quickly. Especially it, it really a lot does. of us a lot of us third party publishers. We you know we have real life jobs outside of this. Most of us are not doing this for a living. Um, and, uh, so, you know, we have families, you know, all the rest of the same thing everybody else has, but we're still trying to publish books, um, and go to a couple conventions a year, that kind of thing. It all, it's all very time consuming and, and, uh, and it can, it, 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 can, it can get really difficult because there's just a lot of balls in the air with that. Um, you know, I, I'll say it was easier back when I, it was certainly easier back when I first started publishing without Kickstarter, um, we were putting out five to eight modules a year um roughly and uh you know some years better than others and i, I don't ever remember being all that stressed out <laughs> or how uh, did you i mean <laughs> how did you build the market the products, for that though, products have definitely changed you know i i freely admit it we're doing you know 160 page color books now and that kind of thing because we you know we we, we do one old school version of it usually bx uh D, D, and then we do a 5e version 5e has opened up a ton of windows for everyone but it's also a much more demanding product you know, so it's, uh, we, we got to balance that. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know, we'll, we'll look at, I mean, I think what we're going to look at doing next year is going a 90 day cycle. Um, I'm pretty sure I'll be fully retired. So I could definitely contribute more to that end of it. And I think that's, that's what Pace Center's plan is. We're going to, we'll probably be in a roughly 90 day cycle. I, mean, I, I think what we want to do is get five, five via Kickstarter uh, out per year. Um, is, is our goal. All that math doesn't work. Five times 90 is not 360 days. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. Does I was thinking more. <laughs> There'll be some fudge in there, right? I mean, there'll be, there'll be some projects that we that we can that we can flip pretty quick and, and others that might take a little bit longer, that kind of thing. But the, the good thing, like I said, is we've got a ton of them in the pipeline and most a lot of them have got most of the work done. Um, except, you know, obviously we don't we don't schedule art until we get close. Um, uh, same with our maps because that's again we have our, our cartographer we use uh keelan hallerson wonky he's not white people he's 
absolutely amazing. Um, but we keep him busy as hell. So we got to watch <laughs> that cycle too, because we are dependent on other people, whether we like it or not. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, both you guys, uh, what, what's coming up? I'm going to, I'm going to start with Bill and then come back to Ben. Cause uh, sure. Ben, I know, I know you've got, you know, this Kickstarter coming up, but I'm also curious, you know, what's in the future for Zeta Complex and, and what else is, is, you know, I'm sure you probably got some Call of Cthulhu coming up and stuff like that. So think on that. And I'm going to jump down to Bill because I know his, <laughs> he's got the Kickstarter just about to launch. So, so Bill, tell us about the, uh, the Tome of Quests. What all's in there? You know, what can we sure. expect here? So, so Tome of Quests, it's a Tome of Quests Volume 1 is the technical name for it. And what we're doing is we are um, relaunching five of what we call our Legacy Adventures. So we're going to probably do a, a Tome of Quest once a year now. So that, that kind of answers that. What, do you, what else are you doing down the road? <laughs> um, uh, we've, we've been at this, believe it or not, for 14 years. So uh, we go back away. So a lot of, a lot of our, our new customers or new backers and, and, and new fans of Paysetter weren't around back then. And a lot of those books aren't, aren't available or you got to get them on the, you know, the eBay or RPG auctions or something like that, if you could even find them. And then they're, they go for, honestly, our early books, uh, just it's flattering, but they go for ridiculous amounts of money nowadays. So what we decided to do is we're going to, we're taking, we're going to go year by year. So basically Tomo Quest volume one is year one of Paysetter. So we've got uh, our first five modules that we ever produced our first year uh, in, in production, which is uh, Thing in the Valley, Eruptor's Vengeance, Screaming Temple, Lost Caravan and the Vampire's Curse. And so all five of those modules are going into a single large hardcover and we're doing them for BX. Uh, there'll be a BX hardcover and it's going to be a 5E hardcover. So most of these have never been, you know, done in obviously 5E. I mean, yeah. So um, we're really excited about that. Also gave me a chance to kind of, we talked about that, gave me a chance to kind of go back and revisit some of these <laughs> modules. And, oh, yeah. uh, and uh, I mean, some of them were in production for quite some time. Thing of the Valley has been in production almost almost nonstop. It's, it's always been, it's been out there. We, it's come in and out, I should say, but some of these other ones have, have not. I mean, uh, Lost Caravan, uh, we haven't printed that, actually printed that book in probably 12 years. Um, and it's a great book, 64 page mega module. I mean, it's just, it's a really cool adventure. So this, this is uh, an opportunity for us and for our, for our fans to, to get a look at old pay setter, see what we were about, see why we were so passionate back in the day of, of putting these products together. And uh, so that's what Tomo Quest is. Is it, uh, does it include, uh, is it reprinting of the modules with? No, no. If you're looking for the Goodman games like B2 and B4, <laughs> yeah. they're their companion books. It's not going to be like that. It's, uh. it's mostly all the original content. I'm not changing a whole lot of any of these because, you know, you kind of go with what got you there. So there's a little, like every, every one of those modules uh, I went through and I'll say just updated them. Right. So mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I really wanted, I, I cut an encounter back in the day and this, I, I thought it wouldn't be necessary. Maybe I went back at it, and we've got all new art, all new maps, and the map this part. Is, is, this is color too, is that right? It's all full color. Those okay. are all black and white back in the day. Um, so we've got all new art. We've got all new maps by Keelan, which uh, you know bring these really just add a whole new dimension to them. So it's super exciting. Um, and then uh, there's going to be there's a chapter in the back of the book where. I'm going to kind of take like a designer's notes chapter where I'm going to kind of talk about the history of each one a little bit, you know, here's what, here's where my idea came from. Here's where the adventure came from. And here's when we first printed it. And there's going to be a, uh, we're going to include a, uh, a uh, uh, illustration of the original cover or just, you know, a, a replica of the original cover in there. So people can kind of check out, Hey, you know, it's like a kind of a little look back in history. Um, nice. But uh, so, yeah, we, 
might have added a magic item or two to some of all our all our modules always come with new magic items and new monsters, every single one. Usually multiple, like, like five to ten. So we, we, we're not shy from that. So I might have added some more. So there's definitely some new content in here. So if you have the originals and you kind of remember that it's still kind of a cool project because when you get them all in one book, and uh, if you do have like a first printing of these, you don't have to worry about damaging anything because, like I said, that there's flattering enough. There's a there's a significant value to our older modules now on the re, on the, the resale market, I guess. So. Um, but you know, it's kind of a new take on our, our old adventures. I don't want to say new take, but just uh, uh, definitely an update to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're really excited about bringing that out. Um, we've got a lot of people on, uh, you know, up, you know, whatever, contact me when the Kickstarter launches. You know, that's doing really well. So there's, it seems to be generating some excitement. And uh, I'm really excited about it because I do love some of these adventures, uh, you know, the sentimental attachment to a lot of them. Uh, especially like, you know, first few you do, you just, you never forget them, right? <laughs> that, uh, this is, this is what got you where, where we are today. And, uh, uh, it's really cool to be able to bring that, bring that out. So we're going to do a Toma Quest probably, I want to say once a year, it might not quite fit into the cycle, but once every 12 to 18 months, we're going to do a Toma Quest and, and tackle, you know, the next year. Uh, will those will those always be like sequentially? Okay, these are the first five modules we did. These are the next yeah, five. Or so the next kind of cherry well, Tom, picking. Yeah, Toma Quest Two will be the next five modules we did. Which oh, okay. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I don't I honestly. It's just terrible. I can't remember them all off the top of my head. But there's uh, um, uh, Secrets of the Unknown, which is our sequel to uh, um, losing my mind. The B one. Um, oh yeah, yes, uh, in search of the unknown. Yeah. In search of the unknown. So. Uh, where if you ever wanted to know what happened to the wizard uh, and warrior Rogan and, and Zeligar, uh, we got a 64 page mega module, which, which does that. So, <laughs> um, and then uh, geez, uh, a circle of fire, which is a, a really fun adventure uh, takes the PCs through a bunch of different environments. Uh, that was year two. Geez. And like I said, I, I can't even remember all at this point. Okay. Time, but, um, our tournament model, I think uh, storm over Skyreach came out our second year. Um, we usually run people don't know we run a DD tournament at Texas every year. We've been doing it for 12 years now, 13 years. I think this is 12 or 13 coming up. Uh, we usually produce those, produce those in module form. So those are, those are included in that. Um, so yeah, so our next one will have like the next whatever year or two of pace that it was, however many books that was. And it's usually going to be four to six because I think that was our production rate for at least the first six or seven yeah. before we start doing some larger box sets and that kind of thing. All right, Ben, you're up. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, I don't know how to follow up with that. But he got some great stuff coming up. Um, so we, you know, at Newcom, we do a lot of different stuff. Are y'all mainly stick with D&D, &D, uh, BX, and 5E, which I find 5E does, it's a lot more, you know, we took a 20-page module and converted it to 5E and became 24 pages. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just, just the monster stats alone. But um, so coming up, we have uh, several new projects besides the Zeta Complex, obviously, is, is right now on our, our front burner uh, working on that. But um, we also have uh, been working with Scott Robinson, uh, the co-creator of uh, Bunnies and Burrows, and he's coming out with a new yeah. game, uh, Mongooses and uh, Mambas. And so New Comic Games is going to be producing that for them. Uh, whenever he's ready to launch that, he's been play testing it, and so far it's, it's gotten great reviews. Uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, us putting that out, and hopefully that'll be a nice partnership. 
so I know Bunnies and Burrows. I've, I've never actually played it, but I've, I've heard a lot about it. It's it's kind of a watership down yes, sort of uh, very much so. world. Yes. Is this one that, or is this going to be more like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles kind of thing? How, how does this? It's more of a Ricky Ticky Tabby. Oh, okay. If you uh, ever saw that, uh, so Scott Robinson, uh, his doctorate is in dealing with with mongooses and uh, you know uh southern central africa there uh this guy is just a walking encyclopedia of this stuff uh you know when he first brought the idea to me i, I started i jumped into it and did all this research and he's like yeah but some of that's not true this is what it really is <laughs> he's actually gone over there and observed and done uh tours to just observe these guys uh they're fantastic animals, and I, I think it'll make for a great, you know, and there's so many varieties of uh, different mongooses, you know, there's uh, lots of different um, ones, and so I think it actually fits into different character classes the way they are, um, and they're fascinating creatures, um, but I, I think the game can be a lot of fun, uh, and so... Um, and so far, everybody's loved it, that's played it, so I'm looking forward to putting that out. Uh, uh so that's that's on the the front uh that's right behind zeta complex i believe uh but it's kind of on hold until he's ready uh -huh. to go with it so um also i've uh, written another call of cthulhu adventure uh this is uh, much shorter <laughs> than my last one this will be a single scenario uh modern day adventure um and i'll be running that out at ReaperCon. And uh, I got three cons by the end of the year. So I'll be t uh, play testing at each of those three conventions. I think it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and so it's a lot different than the uh, a lot of the other uh, adventures that I've created where you go in with, you know, guns blazing and at the end and things like that, trying to take it down. This is modern day. Most people aren't carrying around firearms, uh, things of this nature. It's actually at a hotel resort. So nobody's really armed <laughs> with anything, uh, but I, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, so uh, it's actually called Horror at the El Dorado Royale. So I was just there a couple of months ago and uh, it just, you know, it's a it's a great place. It's a five star hotel. Nothing gets the hotel. But... Now, now, did you write that one off? As oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that trip was definitely research. Um, uh, then, uh, of course, we'll be coming out with Zeta Complex uh, Adventures. I uh, used to run Paranoia every year um, at North Texas. Uh, so that was one of Doug's uh, requirements for me was to run that every Thursday night. Um, and, uh, I did that until I stopped running paranoia and started creating Zeta complex. So I've probably got eight to 10 adventures that I've written, uh, just, you know, sitting there. And so I'll be taking those. I don't know if I'll be putting them out individually or if I want to try to do a bundle or, or what, but I'll probably uh, be putting those out on a regular basis. And then, uh, also have, uh, the last adventure for my D&D uh, &D campaign, uh, which was BRC, uh, the adventures on uh, Blackridge uh, Island, uh, BR1 through 5 are all out, but I've never actually put out BR6. And so what I think I want to do is update everything to 5E and then put that out as a single uh, book uh, for the adventures of Blackridge Island, uh, which is a campaign It'll take you from about first to about 10th to 12th level. So anyway, uh, so that's kind of what's on the, the back burner for new comic games right now. So what's coming up hopefully in the next year. That's awesome.
That's awesome. Um, Lou, I want to take one more second yes. if I could, because I, I get asked, we get asked this a lot. So our, our product schedule is, like I said, we're, we might get one more in through the end of the year, but I, I'm not sure, but we've got two, Ben's working on a book. The um, other Ben. Another author. <laughs> Yeah, now the other Ben. The other Ben. Wilson. The, the younger, hey, much better looking Ben. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, that's going to be mostly a 5e book. It's got new character class, kind of like a Xanthus guy. It's got new character classes and and I think new spells, magic items, and that kind of thing. Uh, mostly 5e gear book. But we've also got, it's been in the works for a while now, is, is Gamma X is, is going to be launching next year early uh it'll be in the first i like to say it's going to be in the first quarter next year so then gamma x we get i get a lot of questions on it i get pms all the time uh, but that is a first second edition gam world clone but it uses bx core rules so if you can play if you can play virtually any version of dd you're gonna be able to play gamma x but it uh it, it takes the kind of the first second edition gam world uh, uh environment and and theming and that old school feel of game world, but we're using it BX rules, but it'll be uh, obviously a modern game. So, um, but you'll have that old school feel, but there's, it's a big project and we didn't want to do a more, uh, yeah, originally I was just going to do like, you know, maybe a 96 page core rule book on everything. And then I'm like, no, I need to do a player's guide and a, and a game master guide. And we definitely got to have an adventure module to done for it when on Kickstarter launch, it'll be a major Kickstarter, but, That'll be first quarter next year. We get a lot of questions about that. That's that's why we we originally were going to do it last year, and it's just it's such a big project now that uh, we've kind of pushed it off because we want to do it right and uh, present it the way we want to present it. Um, but uh, I know we get people are really hungry for it. They get a lot of questions on it. So you're updated if you're listening. You care about Gamma World or playing Gamma X. Uh, your post-apocalypse apocalypse games come on its nice. way. I know I've, I've asked you about that well, several yeah, times. Kind of like the Zeta Complex is one of those yeah. uh, white whales on my list. of yeah. As soon as it comes out, man, I, I want in on that. Yeah, we're really excited about it. We're really excited about it. All right. I think that's all I have, and it's all I want to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, uh, I really appreciate both of you being on here, you know, especially uh, Ben, uh, you know, uh, this is the second time you've given up a good portion of your evening to be on our show. And I always have a lot of fun when you're on, um, you know, folks, uh, data complex live on Kickstarter right now. Uh, by the time you hear this, it'll still have a good week left in it. Uh, jump in there, uh, support that. And then coming up uh, Tome of quests. Got to jump on that on it. You said the 23rd is when that launches. 23rd. Go on Kickstarter now, like I said, and get notified because it, it, it is a big, you know, save some money. We want you to save money. So go in there and, and, and save a few bucks and, and back it early and, uh, and don't look back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys back early, back off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, make a t-shirt. Out there. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so thank much. You. Uh, listeners, thank you so much. Uh, we'll catch you on a regular episode here in another few weeks. Uh, happy listening and happy gaming. Thanks. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to This Old Dungeon, copyright 2022. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are, well, hey, 
we're just a bunch of bullshitters, so you do the math. If you have any requests or any correspondence you'd like to send, send it to thisolddungeon at gmail.com. Have a wonderful day.